Many regulations that went into effect around the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic have been lifted. You're allowed back into restaurants and schools. You can buy as many rolls of toilet paper and disinfectant wipes at once as you'd like, and you don't have to wear a mask while doing any of it. Now added to the list of enacted regulations that are set to be lifted is Title 42. Title 42 is a public health code that was established in 1944 as part of the Public Health Services Act. It gives the United States the ability to deny entry of non-citizens in the case of disease that could be seen as a serious danger to the U.S. It's rarely used, but was put into effect in March 2020 when the spread of COVID became more serious. And since then, it's really become the centerpiece of American border control policy. It's been used more than 1.7 million times by Customs and Border Protection. President Joe Biden's administration announced that the code will be lifted after more than two years at the end of May. But like with anything dealing with the border, immigration, and the pandemic, not everyone agrees that it's the right move. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez with Ron Hansen. Today, we'll get into what Title 42 means for Arizona and how it has affected the border more broadly. Joining us today is Arizona Republic border issues reporter Clara Magoya and immigration issues reporter Rafael Carranza. Clara, Rafael, welcome to the show. First, Clara, welcome onto the gaggle. This is your first appearance. We're happy to have you. Start by giving us some background on how the Trump-era Title 42 has been affecting the two border zones in Arizona since it was enacted. Hi, Ron. Pleasure to be here. Um, So first, I'm just going to give a a briefing on how Title 42 has been implemented. Uh, Title 42 works in a way that allows agents to immediately expel almost anyone crossing the border illegally without going through the immigration, uh, regular immigration proceedings. So before Title 42, anyone coming across the border illegally had to be processed through Title 8. That is regular immigration proceedings. So either if you were going to claim protection under asylum law, or if you were a repeated crosser that could be prosecuted, you had to be put through this uh, longer process. Now under Title 42, People are expelled back to Mexico or deported to their home countries, regardless of their claims or of um, how many times they've attempted to cross. The only exemptions to whether agents right now under Title 42 are putting people through the regular process is if they have committed a felony, if they're witnesses to a crime, or if for operational reasons they can't be sent back to their home countries under Title 42. And so what we are seeing in the two sectors of the Arizona border is that in the Tucson sector, a lot of people from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador are attempting to cross several times, sometimes as much as 10 times, and they are just being sent back without really much penalty. On the other side, what we are seeing in the Yuma sector is that Migrant families from a variety of countries are attempting to cross, but they're being blocked to request for asylum under Title 42. So who are we seeing being impacted by Title 42 at the Arizona border right now? 
So the way Title 42 works is that although it allows a fast expulsion of almost anyone crossing, those that come from the Northern Triangle, say Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, can be expelled back to Mexico due to agreements that the U.S. has established with this country. For all other nationalities, agents have to expel migrants back to their home countries. So what we're seeing in the Arizona border is that anyone coming from Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador is sent back across the border, and all others have to be detained and processed to be flown out of the country. And in the Tucson sector, for example, most of the migrants crossing come from these countries. So that's why we will see a larger percentage of migrants processed through Title 42 in that area. In Yuma, on the other hand, we have migrants from a lot of countries going across. There's migrants going across from over 60 countries, and those aren't expelled back to Mexico as swiftly. So, Rafa, turning to you now, you were just on the gaggle talking about the status of Ukrainian refugees at the U.S.-Mexican border. The Biden administration is lifting the code after the Center for Disease Control said it was no longer necessary because the overwhelming majority of people, 97 percent, live in counties with low COVID-19 rates. Despite this, there's been bipartisan pushback, including from both of Arizona's U.S. Uh, Democratic senators, Mark Kelly and Kirsten Cinema. Why do some people want to keep it? Well, we have to keep in mind that uh, immigration and border security has always been a perennial wedge issue. It's a you know, perennial culture uh, war issue as well. And this is a midterm year. So we have midterms coming up in 2022 uh, to determine control of uh, Congress, the House and the Senate. And so this issue, unsurprisingly, has become very politicized. Uh, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas laid out his plan uh, on how to repeal Title 42 on the same week that he testified in three separate congressional hearings. And as you can imagine, because it is so politicized, uh, there were a lot of fireworks, not so much uh, policy or substantial policy debate because of that. Uh, but he anticipates that, you know, when Title 42 goes away, they will have a surge in migrants arriving to the U.S.-Mexico border. And one of the things that we hear repeatedly from Mallorcas and from other administration officials is that Title 42 is not an immigration policy tool, but that's essentially what it has become, as Clara has explained. And it's become very beneficial for the administration to keep that in place, to be able to manage the flows of migrants a lot more quickly. And that's also why, you know, the, the Republicans want to keep Title 42 in place, um, you know, even though they have fought against all other pandemic restrictions like the face mask. But, you know, it kind of fits into, uh, you know, their narrative and the things that they've been talking about, a lawless and open border. And they feel that repealing Title 42 will kind of contribute you know, to that even more. And they see that as kind of as a winning issue for them. Uh, you know, they've had a lot of success in the past in using immigration and border security to rally, uh, you know, their base. Certainly, you know, former President Donald Trump, you know, got to the presidency in large part because of that. And, you know, his call to build the wall and uh, really take a really more a restrictive approach to immigration, you know, has worked. And uh, Democrats, as a result, have kind of been on defense because the Republicans have been so dominant on this message. So what we're seeing then is that more moderate Democrats 
that includes, you know, Senators Kelly, Cinema, but then you also have, uh, you know, congressmen like Greg Stanton and Tom O'Halloran, who also are, you know, joining their voices and calling for a delay to this policy. And the reason that they tell us is that that they're hoping that the Biden administration, you know, will come up with a better kind of plan, um, you know, to be better prepared for, you know, whenever Title 42 goes away, that they'll be able to respond a lot more accordingly. But then you also have, you know, immigration advocates and other Democrats, for example, here in Arizona, uh, like Representative Raul Grijalva or Tucson Mayor Regina Romero, who also want this policy gone. This is something that the Biden administration campaigned on. And so, you know, it's kind of a no-win situation for, for Biden and for Democrats at this point as they're kind of battling over messaging ahead of, you know, the 22 midterms. Yeah, Rafa, to your point, we've seen that this is not just a congressional issue. We've seen this also in the gubernatorial campaign via Katie Hobbs, who has sort of done a U-turn in terms of her support and then lack thereof for changing this policy. Clara, with Title 42 in place right now, uh, we have some sense of what has happened at the border. Um, Give us a sense now of how things will change, what the expected differences will be on the ground when it is rescinded on May 23rd. Yeah, so uh, the Department of Homeland Security has been planning on a series of scenarios based on what they are expecting to happen at the border once Title 42 is lifted. And so something, a very common misunderstanding is that there will be about 18,000 encounters a day at the border. And this is only the highest range scenario for all the projections that the statistic team in Homeland Security did. In reality, the scenarios look like Uh, 6,000 a day, 12,000 encounters a day, and the highest range is 18,000. So this doesn't mean that the administration is expecting right away this number. It's just like the highest range. And so based on that, they are uh, preparing on just like surging resources to both holding facilities, medical staffing, law enforcement officers. The way they plan to run this is through the Southwest Border Coordination Center, which was created in February of this year. And they are getting help of FEMA and just uh, basing all this effort through interagency coordination um, to just uh, speed up all the processes, both just processing people through detention and also uh, streamlining the asylum process. Some of the things that they are planning on as part of this response is to just maximize expedited removals. And what this means is that they will finally start prosecuting repeated crossers. At this point with Title 42, people were catched and processed as fastly as possible and then just either turned back across the border or flown to their countries. Once Title 42 is lifted, repeated crossers will start facing consequences, turning from a misdemeanor to just other types of prosecution. So the administration is planning to expand on this and also increase uh, transportation for just doing lateral transfers to areas of the border that have less capacity to areas that have more capacity. So they're planning on doubling transportation and also start processing people while they're in transit. 
Rafa, Arizona is currently one of 21 states that has challenged the plan to lift Title 42 uh, ahead of all this federal planning on how to unwind this program. The states are trying to figure out how to keep things uh, as status quo, it sounds like. What is the future of this policy as it stands now? Yeah, definitely. Arizona has played a very outsized role in this conversation. And not surprisingly, since, you know, it is a border state that does see a large number of arrivals, um, you know, at the Arizona-Mexico border. And we've seen, you know, elected officials in the state as a result kind of, you know, take, you know, some of those leading actions in, in challenging Title 42. For example, you have Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, who has been very outspoken about the repeal. All of the congressional delegation is very united. The Republican congressional delegation is united against the repeal. But you also have someone like uh, Mark Brnovich, the attorney general, who's also a Senate candidate that has been very active in you know, using the court system to try to stop Biden's immigration and border policies. He's filed a number of lawsuits that have challenged anything from uh, deportation guidelines to national now what we're seeing is uh, the repeal of Title 42. Currently, there are two lawsuits um, that he is involved in that have a lot more potential to, to uh, stop the uh, repeal of Title 42 than anything that Congress can do at this moment. Um, one of those lawsuits was filed in Louisiana, of all places, which is in the Fifth Circuit, which traditionally is a lot more conservative. And that one, Arizona, is uh, joined by 20 other Republican uh, states that have called on the the a federal judge there to stop the Biden administration from repealing Title 42. And just last week, that judge issued a restraining order um, that kind of stops the Biden administration from you know rolling out this program that uh, Glada had talked about or the or the preparations or plans. Um, and so, so what we now have essentially is you know a little more uncertainty over whether May 23rd will effectively be the end of Title 42, given that, you know, this case is making its way through court. And then you also have a second lawsuit that was filed by 14 states, including, uh, you know, Brnovich and Brnovich kind of describing himself as, you know, a national leader on this topic. But this second lawsuit is challenging um, the deployment of asylum officers to the border. Um, you know, as part of that plan that Clara mentioned, one of the biggest changes is that um, they would allow asylum officers to you know, be at the border and make determinations on the spot on whether someone has a valid asylum claim or not. And if they don't, they'll be able to be expelled immediately or return to their countries. But this lawsuit claims that you know that is unlawful because it would kind of change the, the nature of the asylum system. And interestingly enough, you also have a lot of immigration advocates who are against this rule as well because they feel that it kind of infringes on due process for, for migrants. And so essentially what we're seeing at this time is that um, this policy, Title 42, is, is beginning to be bogged down in courts and could be for some time. And that you know, wouldn't be very surprising considering what we've seen with other immigration and border policies that you know, have been made uh, or, or you know, have taken effect over the past few years. Case in point, for example, is you know, deferred action for childhood arrivals. That is still kind of tied up in the courts. We don't have a decision about whether it's legal or not, whether it was legal or not to get rid of it, as Trump tried to do uh, in the previous administration. And then, you know, currently you also have the Remain in Mexico program that sends asylum seekers to wait in Mexico. We just heard a Supreme Court, you know, hearing on that recently. No decision yet, but it just kind of gives a preview of, you know, what could happen to, to this debate over Title 42 as well. 
So May 23rd expiration date or not, my guess is that organizations and border communities, some of these uh, refugee groups are preparing for a lift in the coming weeks. What are they doing to prepare? So shelters in the Sonoran border are indeed expecting an increase in the arrival of migrant families. In fact, several of them have been getting calls from people who were under MPP on the list and just asking if they can come up in May 23rd and just continue their asylum process. And so they have been getting these calls, but in reality, they have been trying to push for some of these families to wait and not come to the border because of the uncertainties of both Title 42, but also of metering, um, remaining Mexico policies, all of these things um, that shelters will need to coordinate with border officials to make again like a swift process and just ensure security for the families that are coming to wait. What they say is that they're ready to expand their capacity. Uh, currently in the border city of Nogales is sheltering about 80 people. Other shelters along the Sonoran border are smaller. So in San Luis, they're holding about between 15 and 40 people a day. In Sonora, they're sheltering about 30. In Agua Prieta, nonprofits are uh, preparing a response not only to receive people at the Mexican border city, but also to ensure that there's transportation to main cities in Arizona if families are referred through the Title VIII process and into the asylum system. Um, so as Rafa has covered very well in his reporting, there's been an issue with migrant releases in these small border communities. And so one of the ways that uh, nonprofits are preparing is just uh, talking to leaders of churches, starting the conversation with their uh, local government to see how they can provide space and help secure agreements to transport migrant families in a way that doesn't uh, leave a burden to the communities. And, you know, all of this is, you know, has a potential to move, you know, very suddenly and very quickly as we approach that May 23rd deadline. The temporary restraining order that the Republican states got from the federal judge in Louisiana only lasts for about two weeks. And so, you know, that kind of freezes the plans in place. But you have a hearing coming up on May 13, where this federal judge in Louisiana will kind of listen to both sides over whether, you know, to block the Biden administration from repealing Title 42 altogether. And, you know, we expect that a, a decision could come, you know, just a few days after that. So we'll be keeping a close eye on that. Something else that will factor into the response uh, that nonprofits will have to the end of Title 42 is that they will start receiving a refund uh, for a lot of the expenses that they've been having on testing migrant families, organizing transportation to main cities and just transportation hubs so that they can wait for their asylum proceedings in other parts of the country. Just to, to close here, you know, we're having this fierce debate about a program very specifically addressing the asylum program here in the United States, but it speaks to this broader debate that this country and our state has been having for the past several decades about the broader issue of immigration reform. And clearly, Congress has been unable and unwilling to address this issue 
more broadly. Is there any sense of any meaningful discussions underway about this issue? I mean, clearly Republicans intend and are on track likely to take control of of Congress and potentially the White House in 2024. Can you size up like what the Republicans are thinking and saying about this issue more broadly? And if Democrats were to, you know, cling to control, is there any hopes that they would be able to move anything either? You know, these conversations, you know, have been happening and we have heard, you know, that there are, you know, certain lawmakers uh, from both sides that have at least begun to talk about the possibility. I think that there's wide acknowledgement that, you know, there's a need for immigration reform, but historically that's always been tied to border security. And so the question is, how do you define border security? What What is considered secure enough? And so without having that clear definition, that has always kind of been where things fall apart uh, because there isn't broad agreement. If, you know, Democrats want a pathway to citizenship, uh, Republicans usually want a lot more money for resources along the border, boots on the ground, a border wall. And so if that's not happening, particularly in you know such a polarized environment, it becomes a little harder. And for example, in the congressional hearings that took place uh, last week with uh, Secretary Mayorkas, what we saw is that Republicans in particular were, you know, very, very confident that they would take back the, the House and the Senate. And if that was the case, uh, a number of them, including, you know, Andy Biggs here in Arizona, essentially promised that, you know, Mallorcas would be impeached or that they would make an attempt to impeach him. And so, you know, given this polarization, it's, it's difficult to kind of see a coming together unless, you know, there's a more concerted effort from both sides. But at this point, you know, we're just not seeing that now, given that it's an election year, essentially. Well, thank you both for joining us today on this issue that we know from just talking to Republican voters in particular. This is of preeminent concern and interest to them. So thank you for your time on that. People can follow your work on azcentral.com, but where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, They can find me at Rafael Carranza. That's C-A-R-R-A-N-Z-A. You can find me on Twitter at Clara Migoya, that is M-I-G-O-Y-A. That's it for today, Gago listeners. Before you go, please rate and review our show and share it with a friend or two. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto. You can find her on Twitter at Amanda Liberto. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 and The Lab on Twitter at AZC Podcasts. For The Gaggle, I'm Yvonne Winget Sanchez. We'll see you next week.